Hi, I'm Nancy Allen, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. to be this is small town music this is big town music he's ahead of his time you know but he can't use it if only he could prove it well tomorrow's just a song away a song away a song away hey everybody welcome to rock solid the comedy podcast for all things music both new and classic i'm pat francis and joining me today in the zoom room for actually the second time and i will explain uh, this is someone I've been a fan of since I was a teenager. She's an iconic actress who has starred in so many classic films and can currently be seen in the RoboCop episode of the Netflix series, The Movies That Made Us. Please welcome Nancy Allen. Hello, Nancy. Hey, Pat. How are you? I'm good. I feel like we're old friends. I my phone, but I said it a signal. So anyway, now it's silenced. <laughs> I feel like we're old friends now. I, me too. And, uh, you know, a little deja vu. And yeah, now it's just going to flow really nicely. Uh, this is all good. Yeah, we're all we're we're comfortable with each other now. Absolutely. All right. So let me tell everyone what happened. Nancy and I recorded this episode earlier in the week. It was so much fun. I was so honored that she was here. And then when I was done recording and I clicked out of the Zoom, I found that I didn't record the episode, which was devastating. Talk about horrific things to happen around Halloween. It was a nightmare. And Nancy, just so you know something about me, I don't get embarrassed by things. I, I really don't. Everything just kind of rolls off my back. But this was such a weight on my shoulders. Like my heart fell into my shoe and I went downstairs and my wife said, how was the interview? And I didn't even say it was good or anything. I just said, I forgot to record it. And I just like collapsed on the bed. It was just, it was awful. So my wife Pilar said, what are you, what are you going to tell Nancy? I go, I'm just going to tell her the truth because what am I going to say? What am I? I'm very truthful anyway. So what am I going to say? So I told you and you said things happen. And if you had time, you would do this again. And here you are. And I can't be more pleased than you are the nicest person in the world. Well, it's my pleasure. And, you know, actresses always love another take. <laughs> okay, good. I love it. All right. <laughs> so, Nancy, we're going to jump in with Carrie, and I'm going to tell you why. The reason we're going to do that is because, unbeknownst to me, my 17-year-old daughter, I guess, watched the original Carrie a couple months ago and has decided that Carrie is going to be her Halloween costume. Now, I found this out. I'm not kidding you. I found this out this morning, just a few hours ago, driving her to school. So I said to her, I go, well, guess who I'm interviewing on my podcast today? Uh, because the kids don't care about my podcast, Nancy. They don't want to know. So I pull up a recent picture of you. And she said, oh, no way. And then she said, she looks exactly the same, except her hair's white. <laughs> so well, it's actually, to be specific, it's Platinum. <laughs> it's platinum. I'll tell her. Uh, okay. And then what was great, she said, did she, I said, well, I've already actually interviewed her. I told her the whole story. And she said, did she tell you anything cool about the movie? And I said, well, she told me that her character and John Travolta's character, uh, they actually thought they were the comic relief in the movie. <laughs> so do you want to jump in right there and tell the people why you thought that? Well, you know, Every time we'd arrive at the set, the crew was really, it's like, oh, good. The bad kids are here. They're so funny. And they would laugh. And when I mean, you could see people, you know, restraining themselves from chuckling. So I just thought, okay, so we're fun. We're like, what we're doing is funny. I knew it was bad, but I didn't think it was hateful. Well, right. apparently it was very hateful because people loathed me after the film came out. So, um, you know, uh, I guess we did our job, but it was a little bit uh, it was a little bit hard to take in uh, at first that I was so hated by so many people. That's the thing about being an actor. If you play a bad character on screen and people have never seen you do anything else really prior to that, they think that you're that character. And that's because I think that's because 
you're a good actor. Well, thank you. I, uh, you know, I almost didn't get the part because the producer, after we did the screen test, thought I looked too nice and people aren't going to necessarily believe she could be so mean. But I think it's that, you know, that opposite sort of look sweet, mean kind of thing that really makes makes it a little more um, uh, compelling, really. Yeah, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing in that way. Yeah, it's like you kind of want to like her and she's, oh, she's cute, but oh, she's so mean, you know. Well, that, when I watched the movie, I was always like, I did like your character, but then you're like, oh, she's mean. And well, could I get by that if we were friends? Could I maybe look <laughs> past the pig blood? And But um, <laughs> then she said, and now look, if I told my daughter, my 17-year-old daughter to watch Carrie, the 1976 version, she would have ignored me. But her friends told her to watch it. And so she did. And so here's some other things she told me in the car today. She said, Dad, that's a perfect movie. It's not too long. It's not too short. And I was never bored. So I'm like, all right. I love it. That's a good review. And, uh, you know, in, in, in those days, back in the dark ages of the 70s, films were horror films, comedies were they were 90 minutes long. That's right. what they were. It was just no no excess. It just really got to the point and did the work. And uh, it's uh, it's different now. You know, films are much longer and uh, they kind of meander. I get a little annoyed at times, but I I love hearing that from someone so young and yeah. uh, saying it so uh, perfectly, really. And she gets it and um, she probably got it from somewhere, although she wouldn't admit it. She's probably heard what? conversations like that. Well, look, uh, my wife, her mother is a, is a very successful screenwriting teacher here in Los Angeles. So she hears about, um, she hears about screenplays and stuff a lot. So she probably does know a little bit more maybe than the average 17 year old, but she, even from a young age, she would always get it. Like she would laugh at things like sometimes in an animated movie, there's a joke that's for an adult and it's slipped in there and she would get the humor of that. And I was always like, she's got, she gets it. She gets it. So yeah. She also was concerned about the slapping in the film. She asked me specifically, and again, I asked Nancy these questions a couple of days ago, but uh, I'm phrasing them in a new way and in an honest way, because my daughter said, how many times did they have to do a slap like that? It was horrible. And we did it about 12 times. Um, it felt like, you know, 20 times, but it was probably more like 12. And um you know, at first Betty was slapping me and then she was trying to do a stage slap. And at the end of the day, my ear was bruised. It was awful. And uh, afterwards, uh, Brian De Palma, the director, came to my dressing room and said, are, are you OK? And I said, yeah, you know, I'm OK. I'm just a quick question. Were you looking for something specific? And he said, well, yeah, I was looking for a certain reaction. And I just said, well, could you have told me maybe I could have? Right. You know, delivered that after a couple of takes, you know, but that's not what happened. And of course, John Travolta, who slaps me in the car, they had to lay in the sound of a slap because he just, he, you know, he just, he couldn't do it. He couldn't hit me. A gentle touch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're such a bully with John Travolta in that movie, too. Like, you are totally large and in charge in that movie. Like, you. Oh, yeah. Wow. I know. Uh, not a good role model. I, so I hope my daughter uh, doesn't gra gravitate to uh, <laughs> to that. Um, I certainly hope not. <laughs> no, she won't. She's not like that now. So I, I also want to note that Carrie, uh, Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie were both nominated for Academy Awards that year as Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. And that doesn't happen for horror films a lot, if ever. Well, it certainly hadn't up until that point in, I think maybe Ellen Burstyn was nominated for The Exorcist. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, she might have been. I think so. But both of those characters in a film like that, which, you know, the studio, United Artists, which really for them, it was just like a little tawdry terror film, you know, it wasn't really anything. Right. I mean, I think no one was really prepared for that. And so there really was, wasn't the appropriate campaigns and all of that. But I think they both deserved it. And uh, they were both amazing. And Sissy, I don't think anyone could have played that part no. as well as she did. And, you know, on paper, Piper's character 
was a little old lady with gray hair, kind of like the, you know, church lady kind of yeah. thing. And, and so she's certainly not that. And that sexuality that she brought to it was, I think, kind of thrilling in a way yeah. to have that kind of character. So, yeah, she's, she's, I, I love her. If we look at who they were casting in other horror movies at the time, Gregory Peck in The Omen, Mia Farrow in Rosemary's Baby. I mean, it, it feels like back then these horror films were taken a lot more seriously than maybe some of the, the garbage they throw together nowadays. I mean, they were really looking yeah. to cast, you know, people that had uh, dramatic weight in these roles, because if anyone else was in The Omen other than Gregory Peck, I don't know if I would have bought into it but i'm totally all in on that movie yeah i love that movie i think it's uh, for me one of my favorite horror yeah. films and rosemary baby rosemary's baby is on my dvr and i watch it you know from time to time it's probably you know maybe my favorite horror film there you go i i think but you know you're looking at, i don't remember who directed the omen i can't remember now richard but, donner oh yeah, yeah exactly so you have Polanski, Donner, De Paula. I mean, these are really exceptional directors. Yeah. They're adores and they they know how to make a movie. They know how to, you know, maneuver their way uh, through a story. Uh, I would say that Rosemary's Baby has, uh, for me, uh, quite a lot of humor in it, as does yeah. Perry. Uh, I don't know how much humor there is in The Omen. I mean, it's pretty there's not really no terrifying through yeah. the whole film really so um and i like i like the use of of uh humor in horror it, uh, get out is a great you know modern day example yes. of i mean i think that's pretty close to a perfect film and it is it's funny it's scary it's disturbing it's relevant you know so um yeah i i i love that film okay uh and i jumped in with carrie because of my conversation this morning in the car, but mm -hmm. I want to mention, um, I want to mention right now, uh, we spark. Tell oh. us a little bit about what you're doing right now. Cause I want to make sure we get this in here because it's important. Okay. So we spark cancer support center is located in Sherman Oaks. The founder was Wendy Jo Sperber, who I met on, I want to hold your hand. We worked on that in 1941. And when she was diagnosed with cancer, she decided that it not only affected her, but friends or family, everybody. And so uh, she wanted to create a place where people could come, anyone whose life was being affected by cancer and offer free supportive services and the integrative modalities, which is where I uh, came into it. And she was told, no, you can't do it. It's not affordable. There's no way. And I just love her because no, certainly wasn't in her vocabulary. And uh, she passed away in 2005, November, we're coming up on an anniversary next month. And, um, you know, I've been the executive director and, and uh, guarded that mission uh, since then. And we just celebrated 20 years. So um, we spark.org, if anyone needs services, support, it's a lot virtual now. So you, you don't even have to be right here, you know, in Sherman Oaks or Los Angeles uh, to um, avail yourself of these incredible services. That's great. Uh, and since, um, since it is coming up on the sad anniversary of Wendy's passing, uh, guys, you can also go to WeSpark.org and you can donate money. So everything helps. So do that. And if you want to follow the organization on Twitter, it's at WeSparkSupport. So uh, that's a great thing that you do now, Nancy. And that's, that's what takes up most of your time currently, correct? It is. That's that's what I'm devoted to. It's kind of a mission for me now. And, uh, you know, I look at things from time to time because I never say never. You know, people say, oh, you're retired. You're never going to act. I don't know. 
how do I know what's going to happen? You know, I don't have a crystal ball. I know in, I'm old enough to know that anything can happen in life and often does and surprises you. So, you know, I, you know, wait longingly, you know, maybe some wonderful script will come my way to work with somebody terrific. And, you know, and that would, uh, that would be lovely. Yeah. And then, and, and now how does it work for an actor? If you haven't, if you haven't done it for a while, you haven't flexed that muscle and you get all of a sudden get cast in something that's going to shoot in. I don't know how much leeway do you usually get? Let's say it's going to shoot in two months. What do you do to prepare for whatever the part would be? Well, hold the panic at bay. Well, first that you, first you get excited and you think, Oh, this is great. And then you go, Oh, I can't, this is me. Oh, I can't do this. This is impossible. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. <clears throat> and then, Generally, my process is I, I don't really start breaking anything down right away. I'll read it a few times, meander around, think about it, let it kind of float through me. And um, I have an acting coach that I like working with, and uh, I'll meet with her and sort of start breaking down and talking about, you know, scene by scene and, and look at the evolution, just pull out all of the character scenes and look at her storyline to say, okay, she's here, she's here, she's here. And then of course you have to look at where you fit in and how you service the whole right. piece. But um, uh, look, I'm getting anxiety just thinking. About <laughs> <it>. <laughs> but you know, uh, it's uh, challenging, exciting. And I do will say that really from the first time I walked onto a movie set, there was a sense of feeling like, this was my, oh, this was like an environment that I belonged to. It felt like, it felt like, it's silly to say it felt like home, but it felt comfortable. Uh, I liked it. I liked the energy of the creative force, like all the creative, not just the actors, all the departments and how everyone's working towards the same goal. And yeah. um, I like that, you know? Yeah. And um, that's true. It's like, it becomes a family uh, on set. And when you go to see a movie, you see a couple of names at the beginning of the movie. But then if you wait till the end, you see hundreds, maybe thousands of names. And those people are all just as important in the process, sometimes even more important. If and I know that sounds odd, but, you know, they keep everything going. Well, it's really true. And um, I think, you know, for me, when you see a really good film, you don't necessarily, if everything's working the way it's supposed mm -hmm. to, you don't really notice the costumes. You don't really notice the music. You don't really notice the set design, but it's there. And it's all, it's like all connected and it's all, you know, the chemistry is there and you can feel that. On the other hand, if you're watching a film and you go, oh, that's an interesting costume. Oh, I really like that music. Too. Something in the movie is not really working. Right. Um, I'd like to say this is, it's the funny thing, but um, if when you get to the set in the morning and uh, the catering crew is there and they say, would you like some breakfast and, you know, a cup of coffee and they bring it to you and it's good. It's like, that's really important. Yeah, you know? right. It's really nice. And, um, you know, the props, the costumes, costumes are really, really important because they really can help you find a character putting on that right costume or the makeup or the hair all of a sudden it's like you start to feel this other persona taking over. So, um, and then the, the, you know, tens of 20 of hundred, whatever people who are doing the lighting and the camera and the, all, all of it, you know? Um, and it's, if it's working, it feels like this, just this hum of the machine. Perfect. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, there's a things can take me out of a movie pretty easily. I was uh, I was watching a movie a couple of years ago and it was a uh, it was time stamped. It was a period piece. It took place in like the late 80s. And on the wall of someone's apartment was a Black Crows poster for an album that wouldn't have come out for six or seven more years. And that I was like, well, who? that's a big mistake for me I'll say. As, as a viewer. Now, maybe look, I don't know how many what the percentages of people that are going to recognize that and know this but for me i it immediately took me out of it i was like oh oh yeah, yeah. Totally. not cool <laughs> and now a word from our sponsors 
Hey, Rock Solid listeners, it's Pat Francis, and I'm here to tell you that we are stepping up our audio game with the new Shure MV7 podcast microphone. Now look, if you want to get the best audio out of your Zoom interviews, and I know you do, then you need to buy the MV7. It's perfect for podcasting, home recording, and gaming. It plugs right into the USB of your PC or your Mac, and it's ready to go. So take your sound to the next level with the Shure MV7 podcast microphone. You know what? I'm using it right now. Now back to the show. Okay, so the first time you were ever on screen in a movie, you were opposite, I don't know, someone that's okay. He's an okay actor. It was 1973, the last detail. And who was your, who was your on-screen partner? Jack Nicholson. I've heard of him. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> so you are, you're 23, I think, 22, 23, and yes. he's 36 and been doing it a while. Uh, how was he to work with on set? Well, you know, the whole set was sort of a feeling of very, really easy breezy, if you will. If there wasn't any tension there. So they were already shooting. They were already well into the shooting when I, uh, uh, went up to Toronto to do my part. So, you know, I think that the star Jack and the director, they really do set a tone Okay. and uh, for the, for the rest of the production. And it's really important uh, to have that right tone on the set. And um, I would say he's very generous and, um, you know, very generous and so skillful that when we were sitting doing a scene together, before we started the scene, we were just sitting and talking, waiting them finished lighting. And in the middle of this conversation, I'm looking at him and going, what's he doing? He's acting so weird. And he had totally slipped into his character. And it was so skillfully done that I never saw it happen. Wow. And there we are in the middle of the scene. And I'm a little dumbstruck watching this, which fortunately worked well for my character. So I can't even claim good acting there. It was just... <laughs> actual reaction to what was happening in front of my eyes. So um, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great experience and it kind of lit a fire in me to pursue that career in film. So experiences like that on set with actors like Jack Nicholson, that's what makes you a better actor because you can't learn that in school. Absolutely not. You know, I'll give you another really great example. It, uh, John Travolta, who I worked with twice and in Blowout, uh, we worked, I mean, we were stars in the movie, so we did a lot together. Right. And he's an actor who will surprise you. And Brian DePaul is a, a director that does a lot of takes. So, so we're, we're, there's a scene, there's a scene where we're in the cafe and the bar and he's trying to convince me to stay and not go away. And there's a moment in film where I say to him, he says something like, Oh, you know, I was a, a sound guy or whatever, whatever, or a, whatever he says. And I said, my line is, well, how did you get that job? And he's supposed to tell me. And he just looked at me, he says, that's a good question. I don't know. And I, <laughs> I'm like, what's he doing? So it's a, it's a, real reaction yeah now if i had stopped and said oh wait that's the wrong you know you would have lost that moment so right. there's that moment in the scene and there's this another moment at the end of that scene where he says you know stay and i keep saying i don't know i don't know and then he says he whispers something in my ear which was not in the script and i laugh and it was those kind of things really keep things fresh and real and and um you know so that you don't just get into this this rut of saying the lines because, you know, you may get magic those first couple of takes, right. but if you keep doing it and doing it and doing it, it's going to get wooden after a while. And then you're hoping for that magic to come back again. So he's a really exciting actor to work with. And here's how good John Travolta is. We watched him on welcome back Cotter and we watched his performance in Carrie. So we kind of think he's just a dumb guy because he's so good at playing just that cute, dumb guy. But but there's a lot more there. And we've, we've found that out as his acting career progressed. So you're saying in those moments when the actor goes off script or throws a curveball at you, you just have to go with it. It's not your 
It's not your job to sort out if that gets used or not. That's the the editor and the director. So you just roll with it. And sometimes that's where the magic is. Absolutely. In fact, a lot of good directors will, you know, it, you'll have something, you'll rehearse it. And uh, here's an example, working with Steven Spielberg in 1941, there's a scene in the plane with Tim Matheson. And I don't remember now the specifics of it, but he came in, he says, okay, we're going to shoot this thing and you're going to do this and this and this. And I said, oh, you know, I was thinking of doing this and this and this. And he said, mm, I don't know. Let's shoot both. We'll see. So that's what we did. And he came in and he said, you were right. I like that better. So you don't know. You don't know what's going to work. If you try things, sometimes you find wonderful things. And, you know, good directors will say to you, you know, try it. Let me see it. I don't right. know. Really kind of mediocre directors who just have their, they're kind of like traffic cops. They just shoot this. No, do this. No, 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 don't do that. Um, you know, you really get kind of stuck in just yeah. the, the very stiff framework of what it is that you're doing. I remember asking this one director, he was an idiot, to be honest with you. And I said, I said to him, so, so I was thinking, should I do this or I could do this. I gave him like these three choices. I says, I don't know, do whatever you want. That's <laughs> not good. Thought, oh, I'm on my own here. I yeah. get it. <laughs> so Nancy, how do you feel confident enough uh, to, to ask a Steven Spielberg, if you can do it a different way, or do you always have to feel comfortable with your director? I think you do. I think you have to, um, I'll just say I love being directed. I like working with good directors a lot. And, um, you know, I think it was John Borman that said once the, the best thing an actor can do is give me choices. And I remember hearing that and reading that. And so, you know, you throw it out there. Hopefully it's a collaboration. And, um, and uh, you know, you find different things that work. I When I read for RoboCop, uh, Paul, I read for, well, actually with Paul Verhoeven, he read with me and we read a couple of scenes and then he said, you know, uh, I want you to, in this scene, I want you to try, you know, whatever it was. And I said, oh, can I go out? Can I step out and think about it for a minute? And he said, okay, sure. Take your time. So I went out, took a few minutes, came back in, did the scene. And I said, is that what you're looking for? And he says, not at all, but it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, uh, and that's kind of the fun of it, the play of it. And of course there's certain things that really have to be uh, done by the book, if you will, if yeah. you want to track the story, but within that you can find moments that make it a little more alive and um, fresh, if cool. you will. Uh, a couple more questions about blowout since we, uh, since it was brought up. Um, it's been five years since you worked with John Travolta from care between Carrie and blowout. He becomes a worldwide superstar. So when you get together for blowout, are you worried that he's going to be different or he's going to have handlers and people and a, a bigger ego, a big ego or whatever. Uh, what happens when you get together for blowout? Well, all of the above, <laughs> I was worried about all of that. And uh, the first rehearsal was set. In fact, I was, Brian and I were married at the time. And so the rehearsal was going to be in our place in New York. So he says, well, John's coming over. And I was very nervous. I really was. And, uh, and I opened the door and he was there. He was just John, just John, just by himself. He gave me a big hug and we walked in. He says, you know, it's like, I'm hungry. Let's order a pizza. You know what I mean? <laughs> This is John. You know, All right. And then we got to work and we had to find these characters because they were written very differently than the way we, uh, than who we were. So we did some improvisations and we just had so much fun finding these characters together. And uh, yeah, he was, he loves to play. He loves to eat. You know, he's just, he's just, he's very sensitive, but he's a good yeah. guy. He's really funny and he's a great mimic. I mean, brilliant mimic. A lot of people don't know that about him, but he can, I mean, he'll nail you. I, uh, I love hearing stories like that because uh, that's, that's what I would hope uh, John Travolta would be like. Um, now, uh, 
Brian De Palma, he must have been a very confident guy because I would not cast my wife opposite John Travolta. I would be trying to pick the ugliest dude out there to uh, to cast my wife against. <laughs> um, okay, two more things about Blowout. Uh, John Lithgow, whenever I see him in an interview, on a talk show, at an event, he's just the kindest, sweetest man. But in Blowout, he plays this creep, this guy named Burke. Is he able to just turn that on and off? Or does he walk around as Burke all day on the set? How does this happen? Because I can't imagine John Lithgow doing the things he has to do in Blowout. Well, that character of Burke is based on Gordon Liddy. So he has a pretty cool character. (laughs) And uh, John is one of the nicest, most intelligent, uh, fun people that I worked with. He's a, he's a consummate actor. He really is. And uh, he he really kept the fun on the set because we've had a, there was a long, long periods of lighting that were going on, particularly when we were at the, you know, the, the climax of the film and, um, you know, like, I don't know, 600 extras and the firework, all that stuff. So John <laughs> kept us entertained. I don't know, dictionary games, whatever he was doing. He was like the dad on the set, even though we were pretty much contemporaries. And uh, I, I, uh, you know, Brian liked things to look real as evidenced by the slap and Carrie. And so when he's pulling me up the stairs, Brian says, now I really want, I want you to rough her up, like just throw her around like a rag doll. And John said, I just, I just don't want to hurt her. And I said, no, no, it's okay. And, you know, we worked it out and he made it look, you know, my struggling, we, we made it look worse than it really was, but he wasn't very good at roughing me up. I will say that. Uh, as an actor, are you able to, if you didn't want to do that, though, if you didn't want to be roughed up, are you are you able to to say, no, I don't I didn't sign on for that. I know it's in the script, but I didn't know we were really going to do it. Are you able to. To say that, well, I think certainly you are, you can refuse things, and I think a great line to use is, you know, film is illusion. Let's find a safe way to do this. Perfect. And um, I did use that line a couple of times in other films. Uh, In that case, you know, the fact that John and I could work it out together, I wasn't really worried about, uh, about being hurt, but yeah, I mean, film is illusion and there are safe ways of doing things. You know, you don't have to really clobber someone, right? You you have to give them a bloody nose for them to have a bloody nose. It's really not necessary. And, you know, certain things that happen, accidents on set, that's the hot topic right. these days. It's uh, really unnecessary if things are just done correctly. So, but you're working with a team on blowout that you were comfortable with and knew that it would be good with Brian and the two Johns. So, when For you're sure. comfortable, when you're comfortable with your co-stars, then you know that they have your best interests uh, well, front and center. Sure. Worse than the, the the roughing me up in that scene was the, the underwater sequence because I'm claustrophobic. Yeah. And Brian knew that. And, you know, so when they prepared the car, supposedly this version that I would not feel claustrophobic, I got to the set. We both did saw it for the first time. This car was submerged in water with a little hole cut in the top of it and the roof that I had to slither into to get into the car. And then, you know, the waters that was trauma, really traumatizing, to be honest with you. I, I bet back to the car. it was horrible. I wouldn't like that. No, it was awful. So and, I don't forgive him. <laughs> and how many how many takes of something like that do you have to do? Just I did one. one. Good. I never got Good. back. I could not get back. They got it. They got what they needed. Some of the other stuff they did with the devil. Uh, de- devil. He was the devil. Yeah. No, the double. <laughs> um, I yeah, I couldn't. I could not go back. Uh, if you've never seen Blowout, people, I don't know what you're waiting for. It's one of the best John Travolta performances ever put on screen it's a fantastic film all the acting the directing the writing and uh i'm gonna it's a little bit of a spoiler right now but you've had uh people 40 years to see it um at the end your character's uh scream is uh later uh used john travolta's sound guy records your scream and he uses it in a b horror film and um in blowout, was that really you doing the scream? That was me doing the scream, and we 
we first did it on the soundstage in the in the actual acting out of it. And then I did additional uh, just uh, vocals of me screaming. And I like screaming. I found it <laughs> exciting. <laughs> and in fact, when they were dubbed on the dubbing stage and they were doing those screams that he didn't like the screams of those girls, the bad screams. And I yeah. said, oh, no, 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 me, me, me. I want to do those bad screams. So I did all of those terrible screams. So every scream, every scream in the movie, the good screams and the bad screams, that's all Nancy Allen. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, let's jump back to 1978. I want to hold your hand directed by Robert Zemeckis and produced by Steven Spielberg. How much fun was this movie? This was you. You're the star of this movie. You're the first name, I believe, that pops up. Well, <laughs> right. Yes. I was the one who, had, you know, had an, uh, a, a supporting role in another film. And to that point, the first day of rehearsals, there's the cast and there's Bob Zemeckis, who was 26. Uh-huh. It was his first feature film at the time. And uh, he said, so, you know, I don't know what we do. He said, well, you know, Nancy, well, what did you do on Carrie? She said, should we read the script? Should we just all read the script? And I said, yeah, let's all read the script. <laughs> I need to think that I was the veteran having one uh, right. you know, major feature film under my belt. But he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew every shot he wanted. He knew what he wanted from performance. And we did have so much fun on that film. It was just, you know, they should have paid us. That's how much fun we had. <laughs> I guess as a first-time director, you really want to know all your shots and everything. Like you really want to like you, you, you have to go in there thinking if I screw this up, I might not work again. I need to be as professional and do this perfectly. And it sounds like that's what he did. Cause it's a great film. Well, he's a perfectionist and he did know what he wanted. It was a low budget film. So he had to know it, there was no time for figuring shots out on the set at all. So it was uh Like I said, it was a lot of fun. And I'm still in touch with uh, both of the Bobs. We called them the Bobs, Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale. They're just, they're great guys, you know, both great guys. Mm -hmm. The soundtrack features 17 Beatles originals. You pointed out to me that there is a super creepy Beatles song that isn't in this movie, but it's super creepy. And I didn't even realize it until you pointed it out to me. Tell us what that is. Run for your life. Yeah. I'd rather see you dead little girl than to see you with another man. And then it goes from that, you know, and it goes on. And at one point, if you, if you, whatever it is, that's the end of, it's like, okay, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to, if you don't stay with me, it's like an abuser song. Yeah. It's really you know? big. T- it's kind of happy and up and peppy and we're all singing along, but it's creepy. Yeah. It's the Beatles and the, and the song, the music's peppy. So they could be saying anything and you just go yes. with the flow. Until you sit back and really listen, you're like, oh, (laughs) hey, guys, let's uh, dial it back a bit. You brought up 1941 briefly. A lot of the cast from I Want to Hold Your Hand is in 1941. Um, you and Eddie Deason and Wendy yes. and 
Bobby DeChico. Yeah. You guys are all. So did you just, and Spielberg produced, I want to hold your hand. So he must've just liked you guys. Right. And just, did you audition for 1941 or did he just say, I want your fun faces in this film too? Well, you know, Oh, you know who else is in it? Did we say Eddie Deason? Yes. Eddie Deason. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He, uh, all of those people were cast and, there's, it was going on and on and on. And I was getting a call from everyone saying, you know, there's a really good part for you in this film. And I kept saying, you know, you know, Stephen knows me. If there's a part, certainly he's going to cast me in it. Anyway, at the end of the day, right before shooting, he was, that was the last, I believe the last, last significant role that was cast. I was contacted. Stephen wanted to see me. I went in to see him on the set. It was at MGM. They were shooting all the miniatures with the, Ferris wheel, which was really exciting to see. And uh, we sat and talked. He says, you know, I don't really even need to read you for this. He says, you're perfect for this role. I don't know what, I didn't think about it. He said, I guess, because I've gotten to know you personally. It's just, I stopped thinking of you as an actress. And so uh, needless to say, I was really happy because I really liked that role. And I got to work with Tim Matheson, who was a lot of fun. And uh, our storyline is probably one of the least complicated ones. Right, yeah, yeah. People could really track and go, oh, you know, I like these two. They're funny. And, uh, yeah, so it was um, it was fun. Uh, we signed on for 14 weeks and worked six months. So it was a long production. Does, uh, does your, do you get paid more if the film goes longer than was expected? You just keep getting paid. You, you just know, keep just getting prorated. paid. You just keep getting paid. <laughs> That's what so, happens. So in that I mean, way, it's the budget, a good... the budget skyrocketed. And at that time, I, I don't remember what the original budget was. I, I know. I, oh, I'll tell you what. This is a fun fact. On the first page, first page of the script is a quote from Steven Spielberg that says, I will not make this movie if it costs one penny over $11 million. <laughs> The picture ended up costing $40 million, which doesn't sound in these days like very much at all. Right. But back then. But for then, it was a lot. And in fact, they had some of the crew made up T-shirts, black T-shirts with that quote on it. And Stephen did not like it. Not one bit. <laughs> when he doesn't like it, do they have to take them off or does he just go with it? Well, I think everyone. Yeah. I mean, I just like, OK, I'll put this in my motorhome <laughs> wearing it. <laughs> So many, so many people in this movie, uh, comedically, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, Treat Williams is fantastic. Ned Beatty, who is the, I don't Robert know if I. Stack, I, Tashura Mufuni, Christopher Lee. Uh, Christopher Lee. Yep. And you, uh, and you made it on to. Patty Lapone is in it. She doesn't even have a line left in the film. And you made it onto the Blu-ray yes. cover. You K. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys uh, snuck in there. Perfect. I love the movie. I know sometimes it gets panned. I don't, but I always thought of it as a, as a modern day in 79, a modern day, mad, 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 mad world. I just, I love seeing all these people and I love the inner weaving and the, the John Williams score is perfection. And it's definitely worth a second look. In fact, I think it was Ileana Douglas who was hosting a number of years ago now um, uh, on Turner Classic Movies. And she she brought this one up as worth second look, you know, take a yeah. second look at this film because there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of it's kind of some of it's a hot mess. 
but I think it's, I think it's fun. I really do. Yeah. If you just go along for the ride, which is what you're supposed to do when you watch a movie, you'll have fun. Yeah. Uh, 1980 dress to kill. Now, a lot of your films are, have been released through criterion and they don't do that unless it's a great film. So we got, I want to hold your hand, blow out and dress to kill all through criterion you sit down and do interviews for all these, which that must be fun. Oh, it's so much fun. And they do great interviews. They really yeah. do. Uh, the original interview, I think Blowout was the first one to mm-hmm. make it onto the Criterion Collection. And they did, uh, it's many years ago, uh, I remember some hotel, they did a very long uh, interview, which appeared on the, the then first Blu-ray and then they did another interview not that many years ago, maybe six or seven years ago to update it and to include some more information. So they're very thorough when they put the special features on. And I, I just, it's really uh, classy, all around classy group. And uh, I'm very, it's really nice to be uh, part of the Criterion collection. And I'm glad that you do these because you also did one for Shout Factory when they did their edition of Carrie, because I'm, I'm always disappointed when an actor of note doesn't participate. And I always feel they just, they must've said no, because certainly you would reach out to that person, you know? Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not, it's the kind of thing that I don't really understand. I don't understand it. So if I'm a star in a movie and this movie has maybe launched my career or been a part, why wouldn't I want to, and particularly given how, um, people have embraced the film, embraced the role to give back, if you will. I'd never care. I, I just don't care if I shouldn't say this, but I really don't care if I'm paid for stuff like that, because mm-hmm. I think that it's, I still look at it as part of the legacy of the work and, you know, wanting to keep the integrity right. of it, have my words connected to it as opposed to someone speaking for me. So, yeah, I don't get it. Honestly. Yeah. But um, but you do get paid for it, and take your oh okay. And if it is, it's just minuscule. You know, it's really nothing. All right. Well, that's very nice that you're. Look, we already know you're nice. You're doing this again. So you're not paying me for. I will. Yes, I will. Actually, I got to be honest. I I went immediately to the WeSpark website and I signed up to be a volunteer. Oh, good. Okay. So. If you see me around, don't think I'm stalking you. <laughs> I'll just be doing whatever they're telling me to do. Um, <laughs> we'll find something fun for you. Okay, cool. Uh, let's talk about Dress to Kill. This is a, an iconic film. They kill off the leading lady like they do in Psycho. So I'm sure that's an a homage that Brian wanted to do, Angie Dickinson. The whole thing is just great. It's it's a great Halloween movie to watch around this time because it's scary, it's thrilling, it's horrific. It's got Michael Caine, it's got Nancy Allen. I mean, what a film! Did you uh, when you're making a film like this, do you know it's good or do you hope it's good? I knew it was good. I knew it was good when I read it because it the, it was on the page. You could see the movie, and um, you can feel it. Unfortunately. I have the ability to feel on the set, feel if it's really working, if it's, if it's good. And you just get a sense of how it's all playing out. Unfortunately, it's on the other side of things when you're on a set that, you know, it's just not working yeah. and you still have to keep showing up. But in that case, I mean, come on, you have Michael Caine, consummate actor, Dennis Franz, which nobody really knew who he was then consummate actor, yeah. you know, Angie Dickinson, wonderful actress, um, you know, it, it just, it was, and then, you know, Brian at the helm, uh, this was his piece. He wrote this and um, 
it really, like I said, if it's not on the page, there's nothing a good director can do to make right. it work. So it has to start with the script. And that script, I don't think it changed other than to take out of the first scene. The script didn't change at all in the shooting. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you say on the page because that's my wife's company is on the page. So oh, no kidding. Go, go to onthepage.tv people and sign up for some classes. Okay. Looking so. <laughs> into it too. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a, yeah. Dress to kill a classic. Um, and by the way, I'm going to give away to our listeners. I'm going to give away a criterion copy of, I want to hold your hand and a criterion copy of blowout in conjunction with this episode. So details coming on that soon. Uh, the last thing we're going to talk about, Nancy, then I'll let you go and enjoy your day, your week, your month, your year. Um, you told me last time that, uh, Halloween is not your holiday. I don't like it. I never <laughs> liked it. I never wanted to dress up as a child. I thought it was stupid and I be begged my mother to not make me do it. However, on the other side of it, when I went to an amusement park, I didn't like the rides, but I wanted to go into the haunted houses. So I don't know. Don't want to dress up, but want to be scared. I don't know. You know. So on, on Halloween night, are you going to turn your lights out or do you have some candy for the kids? <laughs> well, uh, that's a good question. You know, <laughs> oddly, when I moved to this house that I'm in now, which is almost 20 years ago, I lived up in the hills before. I thought, oh, you know, and I had my mother with me. It'll be fun. We'll hand out candy and all of that and see the little ones yeah. showing up. Nobody came. Nobody comes in this neighborhood. They all take the kids and they go. I guess there are areas where people go and do yeah. their so yes, the lights will be turned out. <laughs> the lights will be turned out. Okay. we always have candy here and then no one comes because our street is not well lit. It's very dark. So no one comes down the street, but yeah. if you're lucky enough to come to your house, you can take the whole bowl if you want. Cause usually we only get a handful of kids. So see the problem with this, and I did this, I tried it for a couple of years. The problem with this is then who's going to eat that candy? Me. Oh. I'm going to eat that candy. Uh, I you're absolutely 100% right. It's terrible <laughs> because you think I'm going to have one. And oh. then it turns into two. And then you're like, I've eaten 10 of these fun yes. size candy bars and you feel the sick. Big lie. Oh, it's only little. Oh, I'll just have <laughs> one. Well, maybe I'll have one more. You know, and then before you know it, there's the bowl five days later. Yeah. Now in your stomach. <laughs> uh, before I ask you about uh, Robocop, I want to just touch on because I just watched this film the other night, uh, the Steven Soderbergh film Out of Sight from 1998. Um, it was so fun to see you in that movie because I wasn't expecting to, you know what I mean? All of a sudden there's Nancy Allen and you are in a scene with so many other great actors, George Clooney, Ving Rhames, Jennifer Lopez, Al Albert Brooks, Isaiah Washington, Don Cheadle. This is your, this is your day at work with these people. <laughs> I mean, that's fun, right? So much fun. And uh, I remember my first uh, first day on the set, George Clooney welcomed me and thanked me for doing the film. And those guys, they were so nice and so talented and so wonderful. And I love Steven Soderbergh. I think he's one of the most talented directors out Agreed. there working yeah. today. He's done every genre you can think of. And I'm always looking and excited about what he's going to do next. Yeah, he's one of the directors. If I see his name, you know, at the end of a movie trailer, I'm like, oh. I'm going to see that for sure. And Wes Anderson, I love. And just these. Me too. I love these, Wes Anderson. Yeah. Just these name people that you're like, oh, this is going to be interesting. Hey, well, I love it. Maybe I might not like it too, but it's always going to be interesting. So absolutely. Um, because of all these films that you're in that are iconic 
and people continue to watch year after year, you probably get invited to go to some of these fan conventions. Um, I don't know if you do many of them, but if you do them, do you like doing it? Is it fun for you? I don't do a lot, but I do some. And I really do enjoy them. I wasn't sure if I was going to at first because I am a little bit, I won't say shy, but I'm a little introverted. And um, I tried the Hollywood show a number of years ago uh, here in L.A. And I really liked it. It was so much fun meeting the fans. There were people that went from Japan, really from all over the world. England, I have a lot of fans there. And they... The thing that's interesting is that they all have, it's like, I and something I relate to, when you really like a film, you kind of remember that first experience, yeah. and what it means to you, and, and they want to share this story with you. So it's, um, it's, it's fun. I have to tell you, Chiller, which is in New Jersey, is one of my favorites, and that, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge uh, fan event, and they've been doing it for many years, and it's always over Halloween. And so people come dressed up. And the funniest for me is when people bring their babies, maybe their babies. And they'll <laughs> say to me, Oh, this is their first fan show. And I'm thinking, well, they're not even going to remember it. Right. But I know you're excited. <laughs> so it is fun and it's exhausting because yeah. you are interacting. You know, it's not just like, Oh, here's sign, sign, sign that that's kind of boring. I'd rather right. interact. So it's um, yeah, it's, it's fun. But yeah, that is exhausting because you have to be the best Nancy Allen you can possibly be for that whole time because you don't want anyone walking away thinking, oh, she didn't seem like she wanted to be here. or She didn't seem <laughs> friendly. So you have to, even if you're having a bad day, you got to put that smile on and you got to bring <laughs> it up. Right? My joke is I'll say, well, I have to go be Nancy Allen today. <laughs> you know? I mean, not that it's not me, but it is that thing. Right. It's like, I want to look and I'm always surprised. I'll see some actors and actresses. They just look like they've gotten right out of bed and they're down yeah. there signing and they're eating their food. I'm thinking, I don't want to see that if I'm no. a fan. I want you to look nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you, yeah, you don't want to meet someone who doesn't seem like they want to be there. No, you don't want I that. Know. Yeah. Well, the last film we're going to talk about is Robocop, even though there's many, many other films on Nancy's resume that we could talk about. Uh, there's a Netflix series right now called The Movies That Made Us. And uh, there's so many cool films, but RoboCop is in uh, is in one of the seasons. I think it's the newest season. And uh, Nancy's interviewed, and it's so much fun. So go seek that out. And let's talk a little bit about RoboCop. Uh, a little bit different part for you. You're not the ingenue or damsel in distress, or you're you're a cop. You're a tough cop, and you get to draw on some personal experience to be the cop because what did your dad do for a living? My father was New York city cop for 30 yeah. years. And I read that script, which is, again, there's another, there was, that was on the page from yeah. the first page, picked it up. I thought I'll read a few pages and I couldn't put it down. I read the entire script straight through. My only complaint was the title. I thought yeah, we're going to change that title. Right. Uh, but they didn't and it seemed to work out okay. Yeah, it seems it kind of seems perfect now though, doesn't it? No, it does. It does. Okay. It does. But they they touch on that in the film. They did a great job, by the way, the movies that made us putting together the, the story of how this film came together, how it got made, what the problems were, how it sorted out. I just think they did an excellent job. And you know, I read that and I thought, I know this woman, I want to play this character, and you know why I was even given the opportunity. They wanted to see me to compete for it. Mm -hmm. I'm really not quite sure because you wouldn't think of me given what I had done before. Uh, but I'm really glad that I did get the opportunity to read for it. I wasn't the first person cast. Stephanie Zimbalist was, but I knew that was wrong from the minute I heard it. I knew it was my part and it ended up being my part. And I had a, an incredible experience working with Paul Verhoeven. I think he's just a masterful filmmaker. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a great example of a, a really well-oiled machine. John Davison, who put that film together as a producer, he's an extraordinary producer. He really knows how to give the, and set the environment and give everybody what they need 
to make a really good film for, for price. I mean, that film cost, I don't know, I think it started out at 11 million or 13 million, whatever it was. It was nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. And Paul, you know, wanted this incredible set because you read it, it's sort of like Blade Runner and it's futuristic and all of that. And John Davidson said to him, he says, okay, so you can have that or you can have a really good suit, you know, for the robo, right. for the robo character. But you can't have both. We don't have the money. So they chose the costume, which yeah. I think was the right decision. Did um and by the way, I just want people to know you play Officer Ann Lewis. That's Alex Murphy slash Robocop's partner. So again, not the wife, not the girlfriend. This is a strong female character. And you always play strong female characters, but I'm just saying in this one, this we without the sexuality. Without the sexuality, right. Yeah. Um, what was your reaction the first time you saw Peter Weller in the suit? Well, uh, after we waited about 10 hours for him to be assembled into the suit, like he was just like a little toy they were putting together. I remember we all thought this is it. Either we're going to be here for six months or they're shutting us down. Um, I didn't know what to think. I mean, it, I thought it looked really cool. You know, it was a really powerful kind of uh, robot, if you will. I love that this, this little strip I could just see, if you looked, you could just see his eyes blinking through. So it was, it worked, you know, worked for my character, just, you know, looking, looking for him, finding him in there. And that's, uh, was certainly her, she's the one that could identify yeah. him as Murphy. So um, it was, it was fun. I felt sorry for him. I thought, I remember at the end when, when they said, when she says, oh, he says to her, oh, they'll fix you. They can fix anything. And people say, oh, you're probably going to come back. And I thought, shoot me now, because I don't want to go through that. <laughs> but you do come back in two more movies. Mm-hmm. Yes. Did they uh, and he uh, Peter Weller, his 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 lips and just his lower head <laughs> look yes. perfect. Just, you know, when you isolate everyone's but that just perfect. Yes. And then the third act, they called it the third act face where they take the the helmet off yeah. and you just see that was, oh my God, that was really disturbing. Gruesome, yeah. Very, very disturbing. It was so, it looked so real. And funny story about that. I have it somewhere. Peter, you know, that, that particular makeup for that third act took, I don't know, maybe six hours to wow. put on. And it would only last really for about four hours because it would start not melting, but it would just start disintegrating. And he was waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And they they just didn't get to him. So I turned around. Here we are at this deserted steel mill. And he's got a, a baseball cap on. <laughs> and he's painted polka dots all over his face and made this clown face. I have a picture of it somewhere. Oh my God. That's great. That was me. This, this was it, but that was his revenge because they didn't use him that day. Now the bad guys in this movie are so bad on screen, but you told me off screen, quite the opposite. The nicest, you know, uh, uh, Ray, uh, Ray wise, uh, Paul McCrane, um, Kurtwood Smith, all they're just the sweetest guys. They didn't smoke, they didn't drink. I mean, they were just nice boys, you know, young men, I should say. And we had a ball working together, you know, we'd all ride together in the van, and I have great pictures of all of us together. But boy, did they deliver great performances. Oh my god, yeah, they are yeah. they're the big bad. Oh, yeah. Okay, final question, Nancy. Of all the roles you've done. Is there one that you're most proud of? Well, I'm proud of all of them, but I really have a particular affinity to Sally in Blowout because I didn't like her. I didn't know how I was going to like her. She was such a victim and I had to find something in her to make it work for me. And I, it, it, it did. And um, so I really love her. And, you know, on the other side of it, I have to say Ann Lewis because, you know, it was unexpected. I really loved her. I loved her strength. And because it, you know, a lot of young women wrote to me about her and really 
love that character. So I would say I'm sort of straddling the world of those two characters. Perfect. Um, let me tell you where we can find Nancy on social media, Twitter at real Nancy Allen, Instagram at Nancy Allen, six twenty four, which is your birthday. Uh, you can go to wespark.org to volunteer or donate or just see what Nancy does on a day-to-day basis. I am hearing your cats. <laughs> um, it sounded like they said mommy. It was very strange. Uh, Twitter at we spark support. And we always end the show with a playout song. And Nancy, you had told me there's a Rolling Stone song that you always felt was kind of creepy. Sympathy for the devil, which I liked. I mean, it's okay, yeah. the devil. But once that 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 Gimme Shelter tour happened yeah. and that person was murdered, I thought, okay, I can't hear that song without seeing a murder in my mind. So for me, it's that song. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love it too. Nancy, thank you so much for this retake. Uh, we had to go back to one and start over, but I really appreciate it. Anything you ever need from me, you have my phone number, you got my email, and you call me and I'll be there. Thank for you, sure. Pat. It was a pleasure. I'm glad we could do it. I think it was better this time. I think, I think it was, it's I think it was really too. not a mistake. I think it happened just the way it was supposed to happen. I think, well, I never want that mistake again, but I agree with you. This was This was better. Please enjoy Sympathy for the Devil. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks, Pat. Kate! 